Are you ready to unlock the true potential of your body and mind? Introducing Analemma Coherent Water, a revolutionary new way to improve your health and well-being. Analemma has been clinically proven to significantly increase ATP levels. These are the mitochondrial energy of your body. It significantly improves your gut health by improving the state of your microbiome and provides up to 12 years of biological age rejuvenation within three months of drinking this water. Imagine having more energy, a healthier gut, a clearer mind, and a youthful body. With Analemma water, it all stops being a dream. Take the first step towards unlocking your true potential. Try Analemma water and revolutionize your life. Visit coherent-water.com. Every purchase comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. You can literally taste the difference risk-free. Go to coherent-water.com. Don't forget to put in the code GENIUS10 to get some money off. Join the water revolution. Again, go to coherent-water.com and put in the code GENIUS10 for a discount. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Michael Selden. He's the CEO and co-founder of Finless Food. The website's also Finless Food, F-I-N-L-E-S-S-F-O-O-D-S.com. Mike, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Hey, thanks so much. I'm doing well. Well, if you would tell me what's the premise of Finless Foods and then... uh, We'll talk a little bit about your background and then the company itself. Yes, yeah, so Finless Foods is a seafood company. The thing is, like the way that seafood is made today can't really continue scaling. Seafood today, you know, it's either wild caught or done in farms. And what that means is we have to rely on the ocean for wild caught. The issue with that is that we can't really get any more fish out of the ocean than we already have. Farming has tried to scale up in order to meet this demand, but and it's done a pretty impressive job. About 50% of the fish that people eat on Earth today is from farms. However, The growth of farming is slowing, and we're sort of running out of space to put it in. On top of that, there's many species that currently can't be farmed effectively or economically. So that's where Finless comes in. We make seafood out of plants, and then we also make seafood out of cells, background in biochemistry. Um, So we're growing sashimi from cells that we isolated from a real bluefin. And right now, we're really focused on on tuna generally. So we just launched our first product, which is entirely plant-based, onto the market. And then we are going through regulatory in the U.S. with our cell-cultured bluefin sashimi product. So this is bluefin sashimi with no compromise. It's the same thing on a cellular level that people are eating today, but there's no mercury. There's no plastic. We're not destroying the ocean to create it. We're growing it from high-quality cell stock and feeding it with high-quality nutritious ingredients. And we hope that by doing this, we can really help move pressure from the ocean onto this as a supply chain, so basically you know, have people continue to eat the seafood that they love and not have to try the ocean in order to get it. All right. So you're doing two product lines. One is using plants to make imitation fish-like foods. And the other one is culturing cells from, like you said, two to make actual, um, you know, in every respect, tuna steak, let's say. That's right. All right. So with the cell culturing, so you've gotten, I guess, lines from X number of tuna. And then, uh, you know, I, I know we'll run into some proprietary issues. So feel free to say, you know, that's proprietary is fine, but what's the process? How do you get a, uh, 
you know, is your, is your end goal tuna fish or a tuna steak? What does the end product or products look like from the subculture? Yeah. So right now, everything that we make is raw. So uh, the process looks like this. There's sort of like the R&D phase where we isolated these cells from real blue fin, coast of Japan. And we took those cells and established like cell lines. So these are cell populations that can continue to grow no matter what we do, as long as we are continuing to feed them the right nutrients. So we also designed a good nutrient feed for them. And at that point, you know, the R&D process stops. So we don't have to go back to a fish, at least a bluefin ever again. This is where the production process starts. So we take our bluefin cells, we put them in these large tanks called bioreactors, and we feed them everything they need to be fed, growing them up in our pilot facility here in Emeryville. And so the, the move here now is just to continue scaling that up. So it's these cells. You can think of it similar to like a, the process of beer brewing, you know, like feeding these little microorganisms inside these big steel tanks. And growing them up into sashimi. Yeah, but how are you not making the equivalent of a muscle burger? When I've spoken to the people that culture meat, you know, there's not just meat there. There's fat, there's muscle, there's gristle, there's all kinds of stuff. And with fish, I know that, you know, tuna belly or salmon belly is highly prized for the fat mm. content. So do you have to do separate cultures and grow them together? Or, you know, do you just have one cell type and you're making essentially like a, a muscle slab of sashimi first? Yeah, so this sort of gets into the nitty gritty. So we grow them out all together, like one progenitor cell type that we have in our big growth tanks. From there, we do separate it out. So then you have a separate population of cells that we transform into muscle cells, another one that we transform into fat cells, another one that we transform into connective tissue, and then we recombine them. So it's sort of a three-step process. You know, it's all growing together and then changed into the right types separately and then put back together in order to form something that's not just you know, a muscle burger, but actually have the fat like you're talking about. Yeah, that's good. How finely can you and do you have to tune the fat content, for instance, to make it have the right mouthfeel, the right taste, you know, to balance it, make it right so that, it, again, it's not alien or foreign tasting or feeling and it's as close as possible to the real thing. Yeah, that's what's nice about like working with fish farmers. There's already been a ton of research into this because in fish farming, they actually have to pay a lot of attention to what they feed the fish in their farms in order to make sure that that stuff tastes right. So we've been working with people who are fish farming experts in order to devise our specific feeds. That means we're feeding it a lot of the same ingredients that you would feed to a fish in a farm in order to make sure that it has the right taste, that it has the right texture, and that it has the right uh, nutrient profile, excuse me, that people expect from it. Well, you, I guess, you, you know, at some point, once you get this mastered, you'll have two, and then maybe you'll have like otoro, like tuna belly, you know, with higher fat contents. I mean, I guess you could tailor multiple products and charge more, let's say maybe for the higher fat content one because of taste or desire. But I guess you could get multiple cuts of, of tuna that would approximate different parts of the tuna from this. Oh, yeah, very easily. And it all to us cost about the same amount to do. You know, early prototypes like right now are all akami, which is sort of a low fat, like leaner cut of fish. But we've also been doing research into Tutoro and Otoro because we think those are the two most important cuts, Tutoro being more popular in the Japanese market and Otoro being more popular in the American market. Yeah, because I've had both and I guess I'm getting hungry as I talk to you, but I think the Tutoro, the Otoro is like really delicious with the extra fat in it and everything. Also salmon belly. So how do you, do you need to provide a scaffolding to make a certain form, like a slab form of the sashimi or is there a preferred form that you know, the cells can interact properly and, and certain morphologies where they work together and where they don't? Yeah, so cells, when they differentiate into different functional lineages, so like when they turn into muscle fat and connective tissue, well, let's take fat and put that aside. Other, other cell types, generally the cells like to be 
touching something. They like to be actually sitting down on something in order to differentiate properly. So that's like a pretty heavy requirement. Like cells learn what they're supposed to be in in part based on their positionality within where they're differentiating. So basically where they are when they're turning into muscle. So that's a really key point of forming muscle tissue specifically. And yeah, like in terms of form factor, we're focused on what's called a saku block, which is what sushi chefs want. It's sort of like a big chunk fish that they can dice up into a bunch of different cuts and serve to people. And like, you know, that's not like our end goal goal of the company because we really want to be able to provide something that's more functional. Like what if instead of having to deal with an entire saku block, you were just given the actual cuts that you're most interested in. But you know, we have to work with our customers where they're at. And right now our customers are, are chefs, or at least that's what we're aiming for. So we want to provide them a form factor that they're familiar with. We don't want to overwhelm people with too many new things at once. So right now it's the soccer block. Well, what are some of the challenges? Like above a certain thickness, is it hard for you to, to grow these things? Like do you have to grow an interface layer, let's say between muscle and fat, and then the rest of it is just muscle. And again, like, um, you know, I don't know how much of a circulatory supply is needed in this to keep the cells alive, but I would think after a certain thickness, it would get a lot harder to do this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thicker is more complicated. And so, you know, our first prototypes are all just pieces of sashimi rather than entire saku block. But yeah, I mean, we're going to need to get there as an industry if we're going to really like make something that is appealing to meat eaters because, you know, there's already a lot of like vegan products on the market and, you know, veganism is sort of like a growing trend, but if we're not going to appeal to actual meat eaters, we're not really going to change the planet. And so it does, you know, doing this harder research, doing this research around like thicker cuts is super key. Are you ready to unlock the true potential of your body and mind? Introducing Analemma Coherent Water, a revolutionary new way to improve your health and well-being. Analemma has been clinically proven to significantly increase ATP levels. These are the mitochondrial energy of your body. It significantly improves your gut health by improving the state of your microbiome and provides up to 12 years of biological age rejuvenation within three months of drinking this water. Imagine having more energy, a healthier gut, a clearer mind, and a youthful body. With Analemma water, it all stops being a dream. Take the first step towards unlocking your true potential. Try Analemma water and revolutionize your life. Visit coherent-water.com. Every purchase comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. You can literally taste the difference risk-free. Go to coherent-water.com. Don't forget to put in the code GENIUS10 to get some money off. Join the water revolution. Again, go to coherent-water.com and put in the code GENIUS10 for a discount. And that's why we're sort of shooting for the bigger thing, why we're shooting for the Saku block and trying to get that onto the market as fast as possible, even though it is more complicated. Um, what about the, the shelf life? Like the regular sushi, a Saku block, how long would it last under the right conditions versus cut sashimi? And then with your product, same thing, like any problem in the shelf life of it, depending on the shape and the thickness. Yeah, so it's not a radically different shelf life. The things that make it very different, though, actually effectively extend the shelf life, even if it doesn't in, in real life. So what I mean by that is the shelf life of a regular fish is greatly shortened by the fact that it has to spend so much time in transit Fish always has to be taken from pretty much always from the ocean, whether it's farmed or not. It means it's to travel over land or sometimes internationally, depending on the species that you're going for. So this means that this time spent in transit is like shelf life that's shaved off the product, which is bad. The other thing that really changes, well, and because, you know, a finless production system, we can make any fish anywhere without any side of the ocean. That does mean that we don't have to deal with this like shipping fish all over the planet and shortening our shelf life in that way. 
The other factor that really matters for this is that we um, are producing it in a perfectly sterile environment. So we're not actually dealing with the bacterial starting point that a lot of fish is dealing with. And that does give us a pretty strong advantage when you are trying to handle some bacteria exponentially growing. Well, have you looked at, um, you know, the microbiome of tuna, even after it's cut and do those microbes, um, are they doing any fermentation of, let's say, the exterior of the tuna? Are they changing it in any way beneficially? Yeah, that's true for all sort of organic anything, any any organic matter. Um, and yeah, ours is no different. It, it, it We have done bacterial uh, and microbial tests. So, for example, on our plant-based product, it actually comes out way in our favor. The plant-based product can last over a year frozen, which is normal for fish. But then when slacked and thawed in your fridge, it actually lasts about two weeks, which is way longer than traditional fish. The cell culture product, we haven't done too much by way of microbial tests on it because we're still setting up our final production process. Like we moved into our pilot facility, excuse me, last year. And so we're still setting up our production line here to get ready for regulatory approval. Um, and we're pursuing the approval right now. Um, but we will need to submit microbial tests and like have that on ready when we get to market. So we're we're currently working on like what that looks like for the cell culture. Okay. And then I, I know some chefs will do seared tuna, like a tuna steak. You know, they'll sear it, but the middle is raw. How does this stand up to cooking? And are, mm. are you at that point yet? This is what's nice about pursuing tuna and specifically bluefin is that the raw product is the high-end product that people are most excited about. And so we actually haven't put any research effort into figuring out cookability. We're really focused on like flavor, texture, nutrition, getting regulatory approval, scaling up, dropping our costs. And a lot of other companies in our space have had to focus on how do you get a product that cooks right? Because that creates so many questions, you know, to create a product that actually has the exact same chemical reaction as a product that is made up of completely different stuff. And on top of that, then the question is like, well, does it also have to look the same pre-cooking or can it look weird pre-cooking and then look good post-cooking? Because that's a very possible research direction for a lot of companies mm -hmm. like us. There's so many variables and it takes so much time. Uh, you know, we picked Bluefin in part on purpose because the sashimi nigiri market is totally raw. We actually haven't even needed to focus on it yet. Okay. One idea that occurred to me, and I know you can't do everything, but another set of markets for you will be fish that have a lot of bones in them. Like I think mm. black cod is delicious, but it's got all these hook bones. So if you guys in the future are able to produce certain fish that are close to being inedible because of all the bones, or maybe a lack of meat, you know, maybe a fish just has tiny bits of meat amidst 8 million bones. If you guys could do that in the lab and just make a monolithic slab with no bones, that might be a really good market in the future for you guys. You know? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, that's one of the many things that's cool about this technology is like we can do things that aren't currently possible in nature. We can make a fish with fat from a different fish. We can take fish that are currently like local delicacies and make them a global phenomenon. We can do what you're talking about, like take fish that currently are not super easy to eat because they have too many bones and make them just, you know, a little filet. We can even take, you know, like fugu and get rid of poison and make it something that's just safe to consume no matter where you are, whether or not you know how to safely disassemble a poisonous yeah. puffer fish or not. So, I was going to yeah. say that, right. I don't know how big a market is, but, but that would definitely be a big help. Yeah. yeah, that's what's hard about that, to like be really honest. Like we have to shoot for things that are like, that there's a lot of data around the market of because, you know, we're a venture-backed company. So we have to do what venture likes and venture likes to see that there is data on a like market that does exist definitely. So even though we have this like bigger vision for what Finless can be, we kind of have to limit ourselves a little bit because of venture capital to be things that are already like well-studied big markets. 
Yeah, this would be a future roadmap thing, but just the idea occurred. So, you know. Um, totally. Oh, well, oh, out of the fish that's consumed, I would just guess not, you know, not being in the industry, but I would think salmon is the most common. Like, why did you guys pick uh, bluefin tuna? So, bluefin is a fairly small market. It's $2 billion globally, and salmon is a lot bigger than that. I believe it's something close to $25 billion globally. But tuna broadly is the biggest single market. Tuna is $42 billion globally, which is fairly big. Um, and a lot of that's limited by the fact that tuna can't currently be farmed economically or at scale. Salmon is. 90% of salmon consumed worldwide is farmed. And in fact, that number that I said earlier, about 50% of all seafood is con- that, that's consumed is farmed. Most of that is either salmon or shrimp. So, you know, it's basically like we had to focus on what made the most sense. Tuna is a bigger market. Tuna is much higher cost than salmon. It, it's way more expensive. And then also, if people want mercury-free and plastic-free salmon, they can get that. It's farm salmon. But if people want mercury-free and plastic-free tuna, currently, they're out of luck. There's really only one place that can actually farm closed life cycle tuna, and they're just getting off the ground. Like, they're just barely able to produce any of it, um, and it's sold in extremely limited quantities. Well, also, too, with farming operations, I've heard there's a lot of problems. You know, if the feed is not high quality, that can affect fish adversely. Some of the fish get out and breed with wild caughts and vice versa. There's disease. There's, uh, you know, the conditions in which the fish are in. Maybe the water is not, you know, kept right, or maybe it's over-fertilized, you know, with food for the fish to grow as fast as possible, and that hurts things. So I can see a lot of reasons why the product you guys could create would be free of all those, uh, you know, nasty externalities. Yeah, you know, it's been... It's been interesting. Like we, I, I used to be really down on fish farming, but then I met a lot of people who worked in the industry and I got to talking to them and they were like, the things that you're saying about fish farming are wrong. However, there is critique you can have of fish farming. And since I was speaking at fish farming conferences, I listened to these people change my messaging a lot. And now I speak at fish farming conferences about fish farming and I'm actually listened to by fish farmers. They're like, yeah, he's got a good critique of what we're doing. It totally depends on the farm. It totally depends on who's doing it. It depends on the feed. It depends on where it is. There's plenty of very sustainable fish farming out there. You know, there are real problems around fish escaping, things like runoff. But for there, there's a lot of farms that have managed this in a very effective way and have made it into a very sustainable operation. But one of the big issues is that fish farming is not growing at the rate that it used to. And that's not because people don't want more fish. It's because we're running out of space to put these farms. There's a big movement now in terms of people not wanting fish farms to be on their like in their local water because it does have like an environmental effect obviously like it's not it i mean some are incredible like oyster farms are actually extremely good for the environment but even oyster farms like people don't want that offshore because they can't use that water for things like boating they can't use that water for things like swimming and these things have to be fairly close to shore so it's very hard to get fish farms approved nowadays And that's slowing the growth of the industry in a pretty big way. So, you know, if we want to get around that as a problem, or if we want to get around issues that fish farms are facing, like sea lice, or like some of these other diseases that are affecting shrimp farms and wiping out like 50% of shrimp farms in any given year, we need to start thinking about on land, like cellular agriculture and plant-based meats, because this gets around all of these problems entirely, as well as creating something that's entirely like within our control um, and not reliant on the environment in order to feed it. The reason that I say that is like, you know, I'm a biochemist and I've always worked in, in agriculture, or at least that's what I studied in college. And with agriculture, when you're doing animals, you're thinking about something called a feed conversion ratio, FCR. That's how much feed you're putting into the system versus how much product you get out of the system. 
So, you know, it's, it's a number. So it's like, you know, you put in one pound of feed, you get half a pound of meat. That's a feed conversion ratio of two, right? It's two to one. Um, or, you know, to make it easier, you put in 10 pounds of feed, you get out one pound of meat. That's a feed conversion ratio of 10. Salmon in some studies are considered to have a feed conversion ratio of 0.8. And, you know, you think to yourself, like, wait a minute, doesn't that like break one of the laws of physics? You can't like have more matter coming out of a system than goes into a system. Well, it's because the feed conversion ratio is only measuring what the farmer is doing, but these big pens of fish are actually out in the ocean. So these fish are eating things ambiently that are swimming around. So it's still affecting the local environment. These massive populations of fish in this pen that's open to the water, they are interacting with the environment around themselves. And while the feed conversion ratio is 0.8 for us humans, it is actually an, ex an extant number for the environment as well. Um, cellular agriculture and plant-based means we, means we could completely decouple meat production from anything like that and make it something that we have full control over to make sure that it's actually in harmony with the environment. Okay. Well, I just want to let you and listeners know, I think it's very cool what you're doing. And I think it's, it's likely very needed. And I, I've interviewed, you know, four or five companies that are in the cultured meat industry, but no one in fish. So are, are you the only guys doing this or are there other people starting to do it? Or it's, I would think there's very few of any. Besides you. Yeah, we were the first to start up. Um, there's a few others now as well. So there's um, a company in San Diego called Blue Nalu. Um, they're going through the regulatory system with Amberjack, which is Hamachi. Um, I think right now also they're they're sort of like pivoting a little bit and trying to start in on Bluefin Tuna as well. Don't blame them. It's a good, uh, <laughs> I think it's a good move. There's a company called Wild Type that focuses on salmon. They're mostly based in the Bay Area, but also have a presence in Seattle. And then there's a company called Shiok, which is focused on uh, shrimp, just crustaceans generally, and the, they're over in uh, Singapore. There's a few other smaller ones that have also started up, but those are like the other big players. And yeah, it's smaller. You know, it's a little bit, it's harder to convince venture capitalists of it sometimes because like, while it does have this really fantastic point of entry of like, hey, seafood is way more expensive. It's way easier from a regulatory perspective. It's a much easier sell to consumers because there's no mercury, no plastic, things like that. It is a little bit of a harder sell sometimes because of the TAM, the total addressable market. You've got this issue where, you know, the biggest single market within seafood is tuna, which is 42 billion. If you're talking about something like pork, that's in the hundreds of billions, just pork alone. So it's a bit of a harder sell to venture capitalists who are not super future minded. Like if they don't think that you're going to be able to actually tackle the entire seafood market eventually and, and or eventually move into land meat, it's not that interesting to them. And so they go for the easier thing, things like pork, beef chicken because of the large market. How do you see people, what level of concern do people have about environmental effects with fish versus meats? Is there a perception difference in you know, how cows affect the environment or pigs versus? Yeah, I think overfishing is becoming more and more of a thing that people are talking about. Like I'm watching the ocean conservation community really expand in a big way. And that's been really good to see. I mean, it people really are fixated on like carbon which obviously is a huge problem. Like if we don't get our emissions under control, we're not going to be able to live on Earth. But it's harder to think about the environmental effect of collapsing the ocean ecosystem. It's rough. Like there, there's not a great way to quantify it. We basically just talk about this sort of vague idea of like, well, if the ocean ecosystem collapses, it's a sink of probably about 50% of the carbon on Earth is trapped in the ocean. All of that would be released. So it effectively double the amount of carbon we've got going on in the atmosphere. And like, that's obviously scary, but it's very hard for people to conceptualize how they are affecting that because it's not like you ate a burger that has this emission. It's like you ate some fish 
if we eat too many of those, it's unclear exactly how many, and it's unclear exactly which type um, will release all of this other carbon into the atmosphere. So it's a bit more abstract, but it seems like people are actually beginning to get it, especially as like, you know, we see these crises in seafood, you know, like all of these crabs disappearing off the Russian coast, off the eastern Russian coast. People are starting to realize like, oh, the ocean is actually a fairly delicate ecosystem. It doesn't just bounce back and are starting to sort of conceptualize the idea of like, we need to actually pay attention and take care of this. Yeah, I mean, again, is there any idea? Like you mentioned a couple of times now, you know, plastics, microplastics and fish, or at least plastics um, and mercury, you know, for tuna, I understand. But what about the environmental side of it? Are people that you've seen, lay, layperson, are they as concerned with tuna as they are with, let's say, you know, beef, pork, chicken? Or does that, does that not really factor into your messaging and, and what you're doing? I don't know how to rank it. Not really sure what people are like more concerned with or what that would really look like. But I do know that people are feeling really split on seafood. Some people are, and, and they're split generally because of health things. Like people see that seafood can be extremely healthy. Like it's very good for you in a general sense, but people are also becoming more and more concerned with mercury and plastic. And they're aware that that's present in fish, whereas it's not in land meat. So that conversation is really driving forward and people are becoming more and more aware of like potentially, you know, eating too much seafood might actually not be as healthy as you think. But that's the only way that conversation has changed to my mind in the past few years. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious about it. Well, excellent. What's your roadmap? How long until I can go to a sushi place and I can get to, you know, the finless otoro or chutoro? How long do you think it might be? Like, what, what do you have to do regulation-wise, science-wise, in order to get it to market? You know, we weren't talking about timelines for a long time because we were sort of unsure how the regulatory play was going to be. But now that we're traveling through the regulatory system and we're getting close to being where we need to be with that, I think that you will be eating finless next year if you're determined to do so. That's awesome. Again, I really congratulate you on what you're doing. I think it's very cool. And I'm glad that, that you're doing this instead of just, again, more fish farms and, and other problems. So um, how can people keep tabs and watch your progress and see when you're going to release the, the fish and where they can get it and be one of the first tasters? Follow us on social media. We are Finless Foods on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. We're really happy to like have a dialogue on that. We've got a great team working on those platforms, and we're going to be much more active on that as the year goes on. Okay, very good. Well, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This has been great. Are you ready to unlock the true potential of your body and mind? Introducing Adalema Coherent Water, a revolutionary new way to improve your health and well-being. Adalema has been clinically proven to significantly increase ATP levels. These are the mitochondrial energy of your body. It significantly improves your gut health by improving the state of your microbiome and provides up to 12 years of biological age rejuvenation within three months of drinking this water. Imagine having more energy, a healthier gut, a clearer mind, and a youthful body. With Analemma water, it all stops being a dream. Take the first step towards unlocking your true potential. Try Analemma water and revolutionize your life. Visit coherent-water.com. Every purchase comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. You can literally taste the difference risk-free. Go to coherent-water.com don't forget to put in the code GENIUS10 to get some money off. Join the water revolution. Again, go to coherent-water.com and put in the code GENIUS10 for a discount. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.